Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Fredo. Hey, it's Gord. How's it going? Gord Miguel joining us. That was Duder on the track. You can find him at on SoundCloud.com. Uh, Maynard-Duder. D-O-D-E-R. We'll have links. Uh, this is his new track, Firmware Update. He's done a lot of track. He's, we, we played a lot of his stuff on here. He's a uh, listener. He's got great stuff and a lot of range. Um, still got it? Never lost it. Let's get that money and uh, big, big, uh, uh, big, big merch news from our our uh, proud sponsor. Um, not Goody's Headache Powder, but uh, WBSApparel.com. Uh, they've got we've uh, WBSApparel.com. Who has highest quality shirts, fanny packs? Uh, they got the they got the Are You a Real American glasses? They got patches. They got hats. Uh, highest quality stuff. This isn't, this isn't some, uh, like, a, uh, you know, one of these, these Teespring things or whatever, where it's just, you, uh, it's just like a drop ship Teespring. We, they ain't doing that. These guys, uh, they really do it. And, uh, they've really got our new, our new, uh, 1911 edition is the law and Kennesaw shirts. I'm currently reviewing this piece of apparel as we speak. It's, I like it. It's good. Now, I do know, and I got to say, they did a pretty good job here of the model is carrying a 1911 with the shirt. They are very, very close to each other. The model is carrying and the model on the shirt. Only difference, the one on the shirt's got the spur hammer. The one he's carrying has got the ring hammer. Do you, you guys have a preference? You guys spur hammer or ring hammer, guys? I mean, the I haven't the, the 1911-ish gun I have as a spur hammer. You have I, I a don't, preference, Bog Beef? This is a big debate in the 1911 community. Is why I'm I, asking this question. I don't have one. I mean, looking at it, it looks like um, it looks like the spur hammer would be easier to grab, and the uh, and the bob hammer kind of looks better and is a little less intrusive. Is that how it goes? Uh, kind of, yeah, sort of, yeah. And it, like the way you you normally would carry and use a 1911 since basically Jeff Cooper in the 50s, you would basically never be cocking it by hand anyway so you don't worry too much about how easy it is to grab because you're carrying it with the hammer back and the safety on what they call condition one or cocked and locked and then obviously the slide the racking of the slide is what's going to reset the hammer but yeah you kind of nailed it so the ring hammer was originally put out by colt in 1950 for that reason uh it was supposed to be easier to carry and conceal at this point though it's mostly a uh an aesthetic preference thing. I like them both. Uh, I go, this is one thing where I see both sides and don't have a strong opinion. I like both styles very much. I guess, I guess the concern with the spur would be, you might get it caught on something if you were drawing or something. Yeah, there's that. Uh, the, the world war one era spurs would also bite the web of your hand. If depending on how you held the gun, so the way they held it back then, it wouldn't. But today, you typically ride the safety and try to get a high grip. And if you hold, like I have a 1918 uh, Colt, and like if you hold that with its original hammer the way you would normally grip a, a 1911 today, it will destroy the webbing of your hand. And I don't even have big hands. So I actually have, I have the original hammer, but for when I go shoot it, I have... Uh, a hammer with a shorter spur in there just so I don't beat the crap out of myself. 
by the time like the World War II era came around and they went from the 1911 to the 1911A1, they were using a shorter spur on the hammer. And there are still people with giant hands that get bitten by that era spur, but I am not one of them. Like that doesn't bother me at all. A uh, hundred years, two two world wars so far. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll sneak in another one because, of course, 1911 is not only the a uh, hundred years old, but now it's like the most popular gun again. But um, yeah, Bobby, you, if you, you're a gamer. Was there a video game recently? Someone told me where people were killing Martians with like 1911. Like it was like 2050, and everybody had 1911s. I don't play a ton of new releases, but I think every game I have played in. Like every big game I've ever I've played in recent memory or the past five six years has all had a nineteen eleven. Like even if they if there are like two pistols in the game, one of them is going to be a nineteen eleven. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So that's, they're talking about Starfield. Yeah, I've heard Starfield is Starfield. That's exactly the thing. So Starfield is like it's in the future. There's only uh, there's like only one uh, like regular uh, pistol because everything else is laser guns and stuff, and it's a nineteen eleven. Uh, but famous, well, supposedly not a very good game, but you know, you know, it was a good game. Day of Defeat. Nice. It was one of the most fun things shooting people with the 19, with the 1911. They got, they even got the detail. They got the Colt roll mark on there in that photo. That's, that's impressive to me. It's better to do that than, uh, you know, it's so embarrassing whenever you play uh, a video game that's got like a, any kind of revolver in it because you could tell nobody in the gaming industry knows anything about double action, single action, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. So, but anyways, uh, so it looks like, you know, I don't know when you'd be hearing this, but, uh, for a very limited time, if you're listening to this live, uh, they have a, uh, combo, uh, uh a two piece combo meal going here. 1911 <laughs> edition Kennesaw shirt with a pair of the polarized glasses of color, the G locks for 15% off. And they got the blue, the orange, and the Caesar. Um, so yeah, check it out. I'm, get, I'm getting the combo, man. I'm I'm pulling the trigger. I'm gonna do it. What color glasses are you getting? I don't know. That's what I'm looking at right now. I <laughs> mi- you're you're getting a 1911 shirt though, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting the 1911 shirt. Yeah. But I gotta I gotta pick a glasses color. I don't know. I I, I think I might go with the blue. I think that goes with me best. Yeah, I think there there may be uh, like three or four of the. Uh, uh, the the March twenty three shirts left in the 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 chonker and manlet sizes. There's not the those are basically gone, and the new patches are coming soon. So we'll have the patronage patches coming out. Uh, but yeah, that's it. WBSApparel.com. Uh, the real deal. Now on to business and next plug. AutonomousTruckers.substack.com. Well, good day. Good day. Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while. It seems uh, I'm on Twitter account number five. <laughs> and uh, no no thanks to Elon or Tucker. Um, some of y'all might have seen me on Tucker Carlson here a couple weeks ago. And uh, you guys will be interested to know that when we wrapped up re- the recording, Mr. Carlson said, hey, you know, what's what's going on with your Twitter? You know, you got you got an account, something I can like tag when we post this up. And I said, nope, I've been kicked off four times. Mr. Carlson whips out his mobile phone and says, I'll take care of that. And texts oh. none other than Elon Musk himself oh. and sends him all my old handles. And then nothing happened. So Mr. Mr. Free Speech, Mr. Elon Musk, his own wow. friggin' company 
could not unlock my old accounts. Nothing going on. Well, they couldn't pay him his forty million either. His billion. <laughs> yeah, billion. So, so you didn't get unbanned. You just made a new account. I found an old dormant one. Um, interestingly enough, it was under like an old handle I used to use and I'd forgotten about from like the mid two thousands when Twitter first started and. I, I created an account and totally forgot about it. And somebody searched my name after the Tucker thing and was like, hey, is this you? And then I remembered the old email address and everything, and I just resuscitated it. How, what was, um, do you have any, uh, what was it, what was it like meeting Tucker? What's he like? Is it, what's he like in person? Well, you know, he's actually extremely gregarious and friendly and laughs a lot. And I don't think he's faking anything at all. He's uh, that sort of energy he's got on screen. He has in real life. He's um, a very welcoming guy. Uh, I showed up at one of his two studios, uh, the one in Maine uh, location to remain secret. And when I got there, his sort of like, you know, hair and makeup lady let me in. And I said, you know, there's not much in the way of security here. You know, like didn't Antifa or something try and raid your house in D.C.? And he just like pulls his jacket aside and shows me his piece and says, I am my own security. I don't go nowhere without a gun. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I couldn't tell couldn't tell if it was a 1911 or not. It was just it was up in there. See what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Getting out getting out of getting out of the uh the big city's been good for him. It sure has. And um yeah, he's 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 out in the middle of nowhere in Maine where he grew up. So Yeah. Uh, best, best not coming him. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I've heard like the only other, um, I know somebody that, that, uh, they went out drinking with, uh, uh, Sargon of a cod is probably the most famous guy who's came out of the internet stuff. Carl Benjamin. Yeah. And they said like, they went and like, like got shit faced with him. So like, uh, you know, you, you're going to. I mean, you know, if you if you go drink with people from your work or something, you're gonna see a side of them you don't really see at work with. They said he's exactly the same guy uh uh off off the, the camera than on. That's not always true. I mean yeah, it's not, but if you think about it, like Rick and use Tucker's example, it's like if you weren't like that, you wouldn't have gotten fired. You know, like like that that kind of personality type, you're doing that for a reason. You're not doing it to to, to get along in the company because They'll shit can you for stepping out of line, you know? Yeah. The <laughs> who was the guy um uh the guy who who sat I don't know if he was on that exact time slot, but the guy on Fox that had the list we'll do it live thing. Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. O'Reilly had might have had a few more gears than you got to see on the on the nightly news. <laughs> 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 uh yeah. The 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 videos of Tucker fishing in New York City, that one that one's great where somebody just rolls up on him and they're like they think that they're like they think that they're going to do some kind of like paparazzi exposure thing, but the problem is that he is a genuine person. So it's just like it's just like it's like how to fly fish, yeah. It's like you're Tucker Carlson. I got you on my camera right here, like a far, far away from the you know the lights and 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 all the in, the audio engineers and uh you know all the makeup people and stuff. I've got you, and it's like yeah, yeah, you, you got the same brother. It's the same guy. It doesn't do anything. It's you. you you're just pointing the camera at Tucker Carlson. It doesn't matter. It's the same guy. Yeah. So um, I don't know. That's that's awesome. 
And of course, um, it is, uh, it, it is super dope that you, you, he goes from, uh, you're in some rare air there. Tucker Carlson interviews, uh, Gord McGill truck driving man, very next person. Um, essentially top five most powerful people in the world. Yeah, definitely. It, it has it has not been lost on me that I am only one degree of separation from Vladimir Putin. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, the whole thing was crazy, man. Like your I, interview was but is much more watchable, by the way. Right. Well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't, <laughs> hey, I, I wasn't trying to give anybody a half hour long history lesson about Canada because nobody cares. <laughs> So, uh, essentially I, I only accepted the invitation. I mean, I was totally floored by it. Um, it was basically like these four guys in Alberta who I've been writing about, um, you know, since last summer and the Canadian media has engaged in a code of silence about this case because it like implicates the fact that, you know, you don't really have uh, freedom of speech, freedom of protest, anything. The government can just like throw you in jail and accuse you of stuff and, let you rot there for two years without bail or trial. So somehow I, I so, someone sent Tucker my Newsweek stuff on these four guys. And then his producers sort of were like, Hey, can you give us some more information? And so I started sending them other things from my Substack and podcasts and various Intel on what's going on because Tucker went to Alberta a few weeks ago and he was trying to get ready for it and wanted to know more. And then his people basically said, hey, Tucker wants to have you on the show. And I I actually couldn't believe it. It took a few weeks to get like all the logistics and a date and stuff set. And I literally, until it actually happened, I didn't believe it. I was like, how in the F am I going on Tucker Carlson? I'm, I'm nobody. Like, what is going on here? And then uh, they gave me this date and I didn't want to fly. So I drove out to Maine in the middle of a snowstorm. It should have took me eight hours and it took 11. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I went out and I met the guy and he's exactly like he is on screen as he is in person. He's totally uh, welcoming and gregarious and fun and tells jokes. And he probably swears a lot more uh, backstage than he does on the show. Um, yeah, no, a real great guy. You know, threw me up threw me up in a hotel in Maine and we, you know, it was great. Don't reveal anything, but first off, so I, we haven't talked about this. I know from, he's given interviews in the past year or two where he, he said that he has a collection of Harley Davidson's and I'm wondering, um, did you, uh, did you get to see these Harleys? No, uh, the facility that he has, that's got his little mini studio and a garage and stuff. The only thing he had there was his pickup truck that he drives which is like a mid-aughts Chevy gray, unassuming, regular old chud pickup truck that's basically 20 years old. Nice. Yeah, there's shit. no he, he's not he's not doing no fancy shit, man. Nice. Uh yeah. So um you should get you to talk to illegitimate scholar. He's a, a very learned man. You can tell by his uh I don't know if I can repeat it on the air, but his very astute uh <laughs> Canadian history lesson there. Uh he's great. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay. So that's awesome. Now, of course, the real awesome thing here is, uh, you guys weren't just flapping, flapping gums in the wind. There was some, uh, so first off, you're talking about the serious business. These, these gentlemen have been locked away. They've had, uh, locked away without any, um, 
uh, locked away without any trial. These guys didn't didn't do anything wrong. You know, one of the things that, that I think about, like with the way that this played out, is uh, so the way the American media it works. I mean, they're, they're definitely like you know morally and all these kinds of things. They're 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 the same thing as as canned or whatever. But you get the but something I've heard just from talking to people like uh, uh, Malcolm and stuff is like the way that like say like the the Swedish press will operate. And I wonder if I kind of get that stuff here. Like you can't really uh, embarrass the American media into doing anything. But uh, I know in in the the Swedish press you like. If you anything happens that embarrasses them, uh, even co- like especially like you know coming from the right wing, like if the right wing has legitimate grievances that embarrass them, they will do something to like uh, oh, get somebody to get rid of that problem. They, they they have this thing about embarrassment. I guess I don't, I don't know exactly why, but and I wonder if maybe that we might have had uh, like that is a solid way to pressure them. They don't like people looking at them when things aren't correct, you know, in America, you know, they're just the giant sickos. Uh, who knows that? Uh, I don't know why you can't, it doesn't really seem to be as, as possible here, but maybe the smaller market, maybe it's just cause it's a smaller market, but place like Sweden and Canada, which by the way, are uh, a lot more similar in a lot of ways, I guess. But yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, so you got, what, what came of this? What came of this interview? All right. Well, before I get rolling here, I see our friend Turdy is asking about uh, whether or not Tucker is height mogging anyone. And he's the same height as me, which is six foot even. Um, And my uh, current profile photo on Twitter will show that we're next to each other in the same height. (laughs) As far as this interview went, um, so he had this invite to go to Calgary and Edmonton and give two speeches in Alberta. And we filmed it a week before. And I was a little worried that he would either get disinvited or something because the code of silence around this case is so airtight that like the media just does not address it at all. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised when, you know, he got on stage with Danielle Smith, who's the, uh, you know, the governor or premier of Alberta, as it were. And he brought it up to her and she said, you know, yeah, it's, it's a problem that we have these four guys in jail and, you know, nothing's happening, but she's done nothing. She hasn't lifted a finger. So she acknowledged it. And then like two or three media outlets in Canada who were freaking out about the fact Tucker was even in Alberta at all because they did all of the, you know, thought terminating cliches about he's far right and he's a Putin apologist and he's this and he's that. And what's he doing in Canada? And why did we let him in? And a couple of those people said, you know, oh, he brought up these four terrorists that are in jail and they should be there. And that was the end of it. Like no questions about the case at all, which is sort of par for the course for them. Um, Last week, there was a pretty major development with the case and the four guys. Um, Two of them accepted a plea deal for sort of technical gun charges that were not actually part of the original suite of charges that were laid against them. And the one that kept them in there for all this time, conspiracy to murder police officers was like totally forgotten about and thrown out. So there was never anything to this, which I knew they knew everybody knew, uh, but the government had to keep pushing that narrative because it, you know, legitimized 
Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act because there was no violence at any of the Freedom Convoy protest sites anywhere. So, you know, these guys and all their guns in Alberta had to be the fall guy. Well, it turns out the Crown dropped the charges on two of them last week, which means they're not even the fall guys anymore. And the charges were bogus to begin with. And there's some pretty deep implications here, right? Like you guys talk politics a lot with, you know, Comrade Malcolm, uh, Lord Yarvin, and, you know, they, they reference Carl Schmidt a lot, you know, friend enemy distinction, you know, and then, you know, Merrick likes to talk about, um, you know, the power petitioning itself and like our protests being chuds are dismissed and not approved and they're going to get crushed. And there's something to that. But there's a really big question here for everybody. If the government can pick you up at a protest, throw you in jail, uh, lay all these crazy charges against you, hold you there for two years, and then just say, oh, oh, we're done with that poof. Here you go. Like, do you have a right to protest? Do you have a right to free speech? Do you have a right to do anything when they just get away with that crap? You, no. you know what I'm saying? No, you don't. And like, that's, yeah, that's the, the, the reality that everybody should. I don't know. I would think that a lot of people would have been clued in on that after what happened to the January 7th people. And then, you know, what happened to, sorry, January, January 6th. Yeah. Uh, what happened to the Canadian truckers? If you're not, if you're, protest wasn't authorized by people in power then it's a crime and they will throw you in jail and they will use the maximum extend the law to punish you right yeah, so yes. spe speaking of that punishment if i may so n never mind the coots four guys so i i have been interviewing many people for my podcast voice of gord you can find it on all your major platforms and a bunch of little ones as well um I interviewed Chris Barber, Big Red, who with Tamara Litch is still being prosecuted for, you know, being the face of the Ottawa convoy. And uh, another guy named Freedom George. You guys remember the chud with the hair and the fear God, not COVID? Yeah. He was on my show. It's coming out soon. I'm just working on editing it. Um, I've, I've been talking to all these folks and it's come to my attention that regular people that showed up in Ottawa and like not even truckers, not even part of the Freedom Convoy, just regular people like you or me showed up in Ottawa, maybe had a sign, maybe just wanted to be there to show solidarity, um, got caught up in things at the end of it. And we're charged with all the usual baloney, you know, mischief, intimidating, failing to, you know, follow the directions of a peace officer or whatever. And then those people's charges went to court uh, in the last two years. And a lot of them were dismissed or acquitted. Now, what the Crown is doing under Trudeau is some of those people's acquittals are being appealed. Maybe Fredo can speak to this because of his background in law, but in the United States, you guys have a concept called double jeopardy, where once you've beat something, that's it. The, the government can't come at you again. Well, the, 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 the Crown under Trudeau is coming back at regular people who beat stupid little charges of mischief for showing up at a protest, and now the acquittals of those charges are being appealed by the Crown, and they're being dragged back to court again. Like, that's how vindictive this son of a bitch is. Yeah, I mean, it's... I Unfortunately, I don't know about the ap applicability of uh, double jeopardy in Canada. It's, it's a shame, from what you're saying, that there is no protection against that there. It doesn't surprise me. You know, no Bill of Rights or anything like that in Canada, unfortunately. And 
this you know all the all these situations i mean honestly this is you nobody should be unaware of all these kinds of abuses i mean these are these, these like these are all just kind of like catchphrase like it's down to the level of catchphrase if you if you have any kind of high school uh political class or something you're going to learn that basically like uh s head dictators there's like a playbook for like crappy dictators and of course the number one is state of emergency that is just the easiest i mean it's like uh there's the whole reason why there's it's it's such a uh, it's just such a, a common thing like everyone knows like oh yeah you gotta like like um that it, it's just it's almost like trite or whatever it, it, to to uh go to go for that uh there's that and of course you know the, the whole double jeopardy thing I mean, who like how has this not come up? Because of course, like uh, you know, to explain this, um, well, if they could just like keep trying you over and over again, um, then you don't you don't have laws. I mean, the the, 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 the law is totally fake. You just have a brutal uh, a brutal evil dictatorship, and that's exactly what they have in Canada. But I do want to say that like these guys that were protesting. I mean, first off. Uh, they were great protests. They had the best, the best energy, the best optics, everything uh, uh, of their protests. And they weren't, they weren't out there trying to, uh, trying to uh, make names for themselves. These, these were, they were put. Out, the government forced these people to stop working, and they would have loved to, to uh, uh, stay on the road and, 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 and keep making money, but they had no choice. Yeah, well, there's that, and then there's, you know, one of the things I discovered when I went to Ottawa myself is that. You know, never mind the mandates for the truckers or anybody else. There was just this deep cleavage in Canadian society as there was everywhere else um, because of the COVID regime. And that's why we had the, the truckers had such widespread support because, you know, they, the government went out over their skis and just caused a lot of trouble for everybody. And that, but, but, that's it. But by the way, let's we should take a moment and just talk about first off. Uh, I mean that that is a that is uh, uh, the some fantastic news. I mean, uh, it, it of course there's it's it, we we still got still to, got two more guys to get out, and um, I'm sure this isn't the last last we've heard of uh, of uh, you know little, little Fidel up there, but. Uh, <laughs> You, you, you've been working on this for a long time and you're able to go on Tucker. Tucker's able to give, give, give this message an even bigger boost. And, uh, two of these boys are home right now. And, and they were not since they were not before this interview. Correct. Uh, that's correct. Um, I, and how, I, and how long were they in jail before, uh, within one week of almost two years. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that is a huge white pill. I mean, uh, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. I I, I feel like that's a fantastic thing. Uh, you've done a, a great service by uh, by doing this, and it shows that you can really do stuff. I mean, it, I, I just want to say that's that's awesome. And there, no, I know there's, there's there's a little bit of luck involved, and you know, I. I don't, there was some like legal maneuvering that went on this week and, you know, there was like pre-trial hearings and there was some new lawyers. So I don't want to say it was all Tucker or all me telling him about it, 
but it is within the realm of possibility that this embarrassment you were alluding to with the Swedes in Canada, like it's a little bit more like passive aggressive and like they, they try and save face and not talk about it. Like they'll do it behind your back. So p- perhaps the Tucker thing, mentioning it to Danielle Smith may have like, you know, let them know that people are watching after the Canadian media had basically tried to bury this story. So you know, maybe may, maybe I had something to do with that. Uh, I, I don't. I, I'm trying to be modest here, which is also very Canadian. Oh, well, sure. I mean, and we're we're all we're all cogs in the wheel. But by the way, uh, almost five million people saw your interview, and uh, I don't think there's any piece of of Canadian specific news, especially this kind of like, uh, you know, it's not like have to do with celebrities or something like that. Uh, that that got that kind of attention. And of course, there's uh, there's been legal help. There's been all kinds of people donating, um, and uh, everyone's work came together. And I, I mean, these are all just these are all just pieces on the way. Like, uh, you know, it, of course, it, it, it's not all Tucker because you know uh, you don't get on Tucker without all this hard work at, at the beginning and here. And I don't know. It just is. It just is fantastic news to hear that at least two of these boys are home with their families. Uh, uh, that, that That is just, uh, it's wonderful to hear. Yes, they are. And I also want to credit, you know, um, I want to credit the GOB to Tucker pipeline. You know, um, you guys have had more than a few guests that have later ended up on Mr. Carlson's show. And, you know, never mind that, you know, you guys saw what I was doing a couple of years ago on Twitter and, and trying to like make some noise about how the government in Canada was lying about it. And you had me on your show a few times and credit to you guys and credit to Bachi Unger Sargon at Newsweek for inviting me onto her uh, platform there and letting me write. And then she was on your guys show. So like lots of people deserve credit, especially you. So give yourselves a round of applause. GOB best podcast on the planet, man. I'm telling you. You know, the thing about Batya, too, is that, you know, she has, she came on our show, she has pub, like, gotten people published who don't necessarily agree with her politics. Like, you know, she's not uh, what you would really call a uh, right-wing conservative, whatever, but she's willing to entertain ideas, and, you know, and, and sit down and talk with you about it. That, that's, I mean, that's very, I guess, boring praise but in her industry that's extremely rare yeah well and the left has gone so insane that uh i mean they used to have play they used to have uh places for you you could be a a left-wing person and be a sensible person uh even in the political realm and stuff but uh i mean you could see all the stuff she posts about immigration and stuff um yeah. you know this is she isn't someone that, that's like she's posting that because she's you know spent uh years like you know reading uh, uh, you know reading sam francis or, or you know <laughs> alt-right literature or something like like when you're losing people like that it's because uh your party has, has gone insane and just you know the, the main thing she talks about is just just taking a big dump all over uh working people which uh yeah Right. Well, she advertises like she'll admit to, you know, that, you know, she went to Berkeley and she's, you know, a self-admitted Marxist. And she's one of these Marxists that is legitimately concerned about the working class in all aspects. And she understands that, like, you know, our modern crazy identity politics driven stupidity is not helping that. 
And, you know, she's interested in actual material conditions. And, you know, she's got a book coming out, which she interviewed me for, and a bunch of other chuds. Uh, shout out to Bocce again. I think it's called Second Class. It's going to be coming out in April. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you guys back channel. She's doing a book launch in Brooklyn, and she wants you two to come. <laughs> Like, like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> uh, we show up at the we show up on the with the pickup truck at the Plaza Hotel. She have clamping gear. Oh uh, yeah, you wipe. Uh, yeah, yeah, wiping your muddy boots on the uh, uh, you know on the cashmere carpet and the uh, the maitre d gives gives you the the dirty look. <laughs> uh, that's um that that's awesome. But so that that is fantastic. So. Who who is so who's left? I, I mean, I, I, who's left in jail? So uh, two two of the gentlemen are still left there: uh, Tony Olianek and Chris Carbert. I spoke with both of those guys today, and I've been in regular contact with the boys basically this whole time. You know, I for whatever reason they had some trust in me, and I got these pieces out in Newsweek about them, all that fun stuff. But anyhow, um, Tony. I don't know why they didn't get plea deals exactly. I think Tony was probably technical because he was in between lawyers. Um, they've, you know, the, the men have gone through a dozen lawyers in the last two years and have spent nearly a million dollars. So like there's some complicity here with the legal system and the sort of law profession. Uh, something people need to know about the judiciary in Canada is that um, 76% of judges on all the benches in Canada are donors to members of and or appointed by the Liberal Party, who is Justin Trudeau's party. So it's extremely politicized, the, you know, the justice system. And lawyers are much the same. If you want a career, you know, lawyers are always, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them are looking ahead in their careers. Maybe they want to become a judge. Maybe they want to become a politician. You know, the Laurentian elite who really run Canada and the Liberal Party of Canada is their political arm. They're in charge of the whole show. So this extremely uh, political case, you know, eh, maybe good lawyers don't want to touch it. You know, they're, they're going to say some things that are going to upset their masters. And uh, as far as Chris Carbert goes, I don't I don't know. I he didn't get a deal. I don't know what's going on. There's been some noise about uh, the documentation that Jerry Morin signed may have some implications. But, you know, that guy's probably got some mental health issues after being in jail for two years. And I, you know, I want everybody to remember that the problem here is the crown and, you know, Justin Trudeau and the government, the problem is not the other men. The problem is not the situation. The problem is the government. So I, I want people, if they hear or see anything about that online to just remember who the bad guys are here. Uh, next pre-trial hearing for the two guys remaining is February 20th. And let's hope we see some more motion. Hell yeah. Um, absolutely. Is there a big website that, uh, that, that, that people can go to to uh, donate for, uh, for their legal fees and things like that? Yeah. So I started a give, send, go. There was some fundraising issues started that happened a few months ago. And all of the men have their own give, send, goes. And I can't even get into that because it's pretty stupid and it's hard to explain. But I started a new one in my name, and it's called uh, Trudeau's Political Prisoners at Give, Send, Go. And I'm trying to raise some money. Obviously, you know, Lysak and Morin being out, but they still have outstanding legal bills, and we still got to get uh, 
Tony and Chris Carbert out. So it's not over yet. So anything anybody can afford, uh, you know, even five bucks, every little bit helps. And, you know, we're fighting Leviathan here. We're fighting Cathedral Nord. And, um, you know, we got to get these guys out. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trudeau's political prisoners that give, send, go. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you have anything else on, on the, uh, on, on, on this particular story? I mean, if not, we can sort of, we can sort of come back to, let's, let's read, you want to read some news here for a little bit? Yeah, no, let's move on. It can't all be about me, man. I'm just hanging out. Yeah. Well, well, I just, I mean, um, I don't know. I just want to, uh, hopefully mostly emphasize the, the, the good part and then just going forward, hopefully we can get everybody home. I don't know. They just, it, it, it feel very awesome. Uh, there's a lot of, all, all, a lot of people, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's just awesome uh, to hear that. But let's, uh, I don't know, Merrick, you got anything you want to get started? I got, I got some stories here. Yeah, hit the button. Yeah, go ahead. Bart to remedy nauseating smell near Oakland Station, making the riders gag. For months, Bay Area Rapid Transit riders have noticed a, a pungent stench filling trains heading south towards San Francisco <laughs> from, from Oakland. It smells like, like a, a, a mixture of rotting cheese, burning hair, and garbage, said uh, commuter Rowan Barato, one of the several people unsuccessfully sought answers uh, from the government. <laughs> <laughs> Barato wondered why she frequently detected dissent traveling to San Francisco but uh, never once on her return to Oakland. Is it on all of the the trains, or is it just like in one in one station? Um, I don't. Let's let's see. Uh, from the I, I I can tell you, trains heading south towards San Francisco from Twelfth Street Station, Oakland. But uh, it just goes on that. <laughs> uh, so there's the their government's been debating this. They've got some experts out there. There's and they don't know what it is. But everybody, <laughs> you know, a lot of people. Uh, you get this train, you know, they go into San Francisco to uh, to work every day. And um, as, soon, as soon as they get on the train, they start crossing San Francisco. Uh, their whole train and people are throwing up and stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a little gross, but. Um, I, like, how, how different would that be in San Francisco just from a regular ordinary train? Though? <laughs> I, like I've had to, I, it's been a few years, thankfully, since I've had to go there for work. But it is I mean, there's just. All everything you just described is just like on a regular street there. I know, I know. So imagine, imagine, like, remember, this is the this they have the poop app and everything. Uh, so imagine how bad this must be that, um, uh, you know, this this is sort of uh creeping up to the, the top of like, uh, you know, mayoral candidates are talking about this stuff. How are they going to deal with the rotting cheese smell, uh, on, on the 12 line? Uh, it must be really bad. <laughs> hey, well, while we're talking about Oakland and San Francisco, uh, shout out to former guest of Good Old Boys, Mr. Seneca Scott. He's got an organization trying to fix all this stuff up on the East Bay there in Oakland called uh, Neighbors Together Oakland, and he's they're they're on the verge of having their like Soros back DA recalled. They've been doing some real good work over there. Oh, abs- absolutely. I-, I love talking. I love talking to Seneca Scott. He's, um, uh, we, we like, when you talk about how politics works today, like what, like what, what do you do? How, how do you do politics? And 
you, you look at a guy like that and the things that he's doing, um, and you know, he's doing it in he's not doing it in Kansas or something like that. I mean, he's doing it in the heart of the beast. This is the most liberal place on earth. And he's taking like, he just takes the fight right to them. Some of the, some of the stuff that he does like really amusingly simple. He just took a, had one of those drones in follow mode and just like follow him while he walked down the street in Oakland. And it was like, you know, when you play grand theft auto, you got like that third person view. It's like that. It's just the, the surroundings are like disgusting. There's homeless people. Everything's dirty. It's just it's like, just take a walk through Oakland, just show people what it looks like. And you know, that's not, I mean, I know Oakland has been that way for a long time, but it wasn't always like that, and it certainly doesn't have to be that way. What's interesting, too, by the way, like, having been to both places, like, Oakland has that stuff, and it's poverty, really. Like, it's a failure of government, but there is, like, a there's a poverty aspect to it. In a way, San Francisco is worse because it's those people, like, in a vacuum that are doing this stuff in San Francisco wouldn't even just be, like, poor. They're actually just, like, mentally ill and drug addicts. Does that make – like, I'm yes. sure there's plenty of that in Oakland, too, but Oakland is, like, a – I'm not saying it's better. Like, they're, they both should be cleaned up, but San Francisco's, like, even more – in yes. San Francisco, it's a lifestyle. Like, do you, does that make sense? Yes, because, okay, Oakland is – I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but like Oakland might not have ever been a place where you said like, yeah, I'd like to live in Oakland. Like, but San Francisco is, that's a place that a lot of people wanted to live for a long time. It's one of the most, every time I watch bullet. Yeah, exactly. You watch, you watch bullet. Uh, was, was it start was Starsky and Hutch up there too. Anyway, uh, it was a beautiful city. It was one of the great American cities for a long time. Like they completely destroyed, I don't say destroy. They they did this in a very short amount of time, and they could undo it a lot easier than they can in Oakland. But you know, it's the same people and the same ideas that caused this to happen. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just want to say, like, uh, I know this this story sounds like, oh, why would you read this gross thing? Well, I mean, you know, first off, this is a political podcast, and second off, we're talking about this in the aspect of you know talking about someone like Seneca Scott, or whatever, uh, dealing with. Um, uh, Things like uh, doo doo or <laughs> just for, first off, like uh, dealing with doo doo, that's like literally half of what it means to be a government. Like literally yes. half. Like if you can pave a road and you can uh, and you can find some way to deal with doo doo, uh, you're a government. That's like literally all government. Like, <laughs> uh, like uh, that. That's what we know of as a government is since Roman times. Yes. So uh, this is a super. Um, the, I mean, you might not. We always think of like all this weird stuff that governments do, or DEI and all this kind of stuff. But actually, uh, task number one and two are the roads and um, uh, making sure there's no doo doo on on the. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and these places, and so I don't know. It's well, uh, since we were talking about Tucker earlier, uh, he came out the comment either today or yesterday saying that traveling to Moscow and other places in other cities, uh, I think the word he used was radicalized them because he realized, wow, these places are not are they're not filthy and and crime ridden. You don't have this is not like a, a, a the state of nature for a city. It's, you you can do it another way. And by the way, what really gets you from my experience isn't like, so the one people, when people say that, what they think about, and this is true, they think about like, oh, I was in Hong Kong and it wasn't like this, or I was in, 
I don't know, some other wealthy city. I was in Singapore. I don't know why I keep picking Asian ones, but you get the idea, right? Like I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh the but no, actually the real radicalizing thing is like go to Havana and see how clean and safe that is. Do you know what I mean? Because like that's actually like they it's not they don't have like all the money in the world and like you know what I mean and like all this other stuff. And everything's old and they can't afford to necessarily maintain everything perfectly. But you know what? It's still clean and it's still safe comparative to like San Francisco. Do you know what I mean? Which has on paper every advantage in the world. If I can bring this back to Trudeau and Canada for a minute, you know, pardon me. But um, Trudeau has spent two years, you know, lying his ass off and being himself and prosecuting and persecuting all these people. And Canada's got the same problems America does, right? So there's like tent encampments in Hamilton and Toronto and Vancouver and even little places in British Columbia like Kelowna and Penticton. And they're now estimating that there's 100,000 people in Canada living in tents. And, you know, maybe maybe chasing protesters down to the ends of the earth is not the best use of government resources. Maybe dealing with the tent encampments and the economic and poverty situation that caused them might be a higher priority, but you know, hey, this is Trudeau's Canada in 2024. You know, political persecutions appear to be a higher priority than dealing with tent cities. Be careful what you wish for because, uh, oh, we got a doozy of a story next. Um, this comes uh, February 13th, uh, Daily Mail. Federal government will start paying people's rents in, in two states. Um, I'm going to just take that. Uh, yeah. Uh, starting this year under new $1.5 billion Medicaid pilot program. Uh, states will soon begin paying for residents' housing using federal health care funding in her- hopes it will curb America's homelessness epidemic. Uh, the Biden administration has granted permission to several states to implement a new Medicaid waiver program while states. Uh, but where does Medicaid money come from? Is that payroll tax? No, uh, it's uh, Medicare comes from payroll tax. So Medicaid is this bizarre federal state program where it's administered by the state governments. Uh, The state governments basically pick the rules, but those rules have to be within a certain boundary, you know, broader boundary set by the federal government. Because even though it's a state program, the federal government funds like 90% of it from its general budget. So it's a, it's one of the most bizarre programs for that reason so that's why states even though it's medicaid can choose how they want to spend their medicaid money if that makes sense as long as it's within the boundary set by the feds i got you uh by the way like um just as like a uh i don't have a problem with um uh helping homeless people get somewhere to live but the problem is you got to have it you got to have um uh you got you got to have uh what do you demands you got to you got to show that you're you're getting off drugs or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be like a uh, like it's got to be like a halfway house situation where someone's like keeping an eye on what you're up to and like your yeah. your continued residence there is dependent on the fact that you're not drinking anymore, you're not doing drugs, like whatever, or you're going to your meetings or you know what I mean, like whatever the situation is with that kind of thing. 
Yeah, the waiver program has been approved um, as the U.S. homelessness crisis reaches all-time high and rents skyrocket, leaving hundreds of thousands of Americans living on the street. Advocates of the plan argue homelessness qualifies as a public health issue. <laughs> yeah, rent skyrocket. You know what would, would be a, a, a great idea to, to deal with that is to, to give subsidized housing to like millions of people. That that will definitely fix the rent issue because supply and demand just don't exist, right? These, you know, I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I I get that there's no like link to reality here. The whole point is like if if they thought that they could do, get away with it, they would be like giving people uh, like massage therapy or whatever through Medicaid because just you're just you're shifting more money to your clients and. To more importantly, to the people who administer those programs, aka your direct foot soldiers. I get that, but these things just have such a tenuous connection to reality. It, it's almost funny. Like, how, do you think? Do they think that this is going to make the rent problem better or worse? Mm. I mean, I mean, just just think about it. It's like it's the like the microcosm of the of everything, like the immigration issue. Well, it was a housing problem. Uh, Rent's expensive. People can't afford houses. You know what we should do? We should add like 18 million more people to the country in two years. Let's just do that. That'll make it's it, it's so it's so frustrating to to see this happen. And I don't think norm like normies even comprehend the issue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've got a. a def- finish the uh the trilogy here of this kind of news we go on to something uh, different but uh no no stay in a, a mode here a frustrated san francisco business wants a security gate red tape is getting in the way two weeks after a mass vandal smashed a metal rod through the windows of san francisco's wang insurance with a few flicks to their wrist, Sin Wang is trying to get the glass fixed. Worried that the individual will return, the CFO of her family's business in the outer Sunset neighborhood has been waiting to replace the windows until she can install a roll-down security gate to protect them. But she can't put in a gate without a permit from the city, and getting one is proving to be impossible. We're very cold here with these plywood walls out front, Wang told the standard. I thought it would be very easy once I had my glass broken to at least figure out the fix of the physical part. It turns out it's the regulatory system that's the biggest barrier for my business recovery. For decades, the city barred roll-down gates that are 100% solid, requiring that they be at least be 75% transparent to help maintain a vibrant and safe neighborhood for pedestrians when businesses close at night. The rationale was that mostly transparent gates look nicer and give the street a bit more vibrancy after dark. Yeah, you, it tricks people into thinking that you live in a place you, where you don't need that. Like, you don't, <laughs> they don't have roll-down gates where I live on, on your, your store. But that is like, hey, could you could you just chill out and not let people notice that they live in a cell? <laughs> how, how, how long until San Francisco gets, like, rooftop Koreans? Come on now. <laughs> that was very funny. But in response to complaints about break-ins, uh, the Board of Supervisors adopted an ordinance early this year to allow businesses to inst- install gates that are only 20% transparent as long as 
as the barrier is see-through so fire and police officials can look inside. Under the ordinance, which took effect in June, gates can be up to 80% metal, allowing for an infinite number of options, Planning Department Chief of Staff Dan Sider. Uh, any level of opacity up to 80% is permissible. Any gate that is more than 25% solid must provide an eye-level fire safety window. Mesh gates whose metal components create opacity are also allowed. Um, they have to have a, win- a, a fire hood when it's like they have to have a, a, a window in it where you can climb through. Uh, well, they, they, they say that they just want to be able to, um, to see through. Now I watched the, the, there's a, a video of the, the vandal that, uh, and he just, he just sort of walks up there. He's got a crowbar and he just tap, tap, like, uh, you know, she's only got like, she's got a gate on there, you know, like a roll down gate. I don't live in a big city, so I only see these things like, uh, you know, they used to have them at the ball and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Well, you got, you, yeah. Oh, you just said the mall. I was about uh, you, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, the mall. Yeah. Um, so and that's what they are, but they're partially glass. And so she had that. Um, and the vandal comes by and he just like, he's not even there to steal or anything. He just walks by like he was there for that business. Like it was like, that's that's I think that's why she was talking about this creeps her out that um, like this, not just like she's afraid of like, like random, like there's like a particular guy that doesn't, like like her and so he walks up he's got him he's masked up and stuff he walks up there he finds the windows like because they the roll down thing has to have a x amount of windows wherever they were he just pat pat uh knocks him out and he and he's on his bike he's out he's down the way uh it's just funny like and so they like uh i don't know now you you were talking on Twitter about a story, uh, something about you could get charged with fighting somebody who, who robbed you. Could get? Did you? Did you? No, I couldn't find it. And um, but it was basically all this stuff like this. It was it was something about, and it was you know I woke up in the morning, I saw something <laughs> fly through the timeline. You ever had this happen? And yeah. you know, I I just like I always just like I assumed like okay I'll see that again by by five p.m. or something because uh, you see a big story or something you're gonna see it like multiple times I, I always like oh I'll see it again I never I didn't see it again it was some kind of uh, punishment for businesses locking up uh, locking up goods uh, I look for it today I couldn't find it but by the way this has already been done this has been done in Philadelphia um, I'm sure there's yeah. some if they if you can't if they're doing this thing with the things, there's people like, are you sure you have this? No, I'm not sure I have this, but I guarantee I can find exactly what I'm saying. We talked about that Philadelphia law about the <laughs> bulletproof glass <laughs> way back in 2019. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, uh, it's it's uh, uh, enough on that beat. But um, you got the next one? Yeah, sure. The house... It- impeaches Mayorkas and historic vote. Exactly. Uh, the House has impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alandro Mayorkas, who under his ten- tenure has allowed in more than 10 million illegal immigrants, doubling the existing population of migrants. He is the first cabinet official to be impeached since the 1870s. Uh, I don't know, maybe you said it, but remind me his position. Oh, sorry. He's the Department of Homeland Security. He's- He's a dude who's not, well, I mean, among other people, not enforcing the border. 
Yeah, he's the guy in charge in the guard in charge of Homeland Security, aka the border. I what used to be called INS, all of that, and they they've impeached. And of course, the Senate's not going to actually like you know impeach him. It would go it would go to the Senate, and they won't get the two thirds, and he's going to keep his job. But this is the first time that a like a cabinet member has been impeached since. I, I I assume it was been it was this Andrew Johnson's administration or Grant's. It's been a long time. I think people are just going to get impeached on the reg now, like presidents, yeah. cabinet members, like all. I just think that's become the new norm. Like we don't like this guy. We've got a House majority. We're going to impeach him. Do you know what I mean? Like I think it's just kind of the kind of the deal. What what happened to? I guess it wasn't an impeachment. Eric Holder, when he was running the illegal guns and drugs down in Central America, <laughs> was he just censured? Yes, and well, I mean, con- the Congress called him to uh, to interview or interrogate or whatever. Decla- oh, they held he him. Didn't in go. They held him in contempt. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was held in contempt right, yeah. Congress. Which you know, if you're Eric Holder, means nothing happens to you. But if you're a friend of Donald Trump, you're going to get a, you're going to sit in jail for a couple of days. Oh, yeah, Josh Ham says, fun fact, the last cabinet member impeached was over the Teapot Dome scandal. Yeah, that's way back. And uh, Duder asked, did DHS just for spying on citizens? Uh, no, they after 2001, they rolled everything, everything into one big, stupid, <laughs> big, stupid political mess. So they have the domestic spying stuff. The INS, the Border Patrol, it's all under the Department of Homeland Security now. Yeah, so are like air marshals and stuff like that too. Because mm-hmm. when the during like you know, quote unquote crisis times at the border, when they need extra hands, if you're in one of those other areas, you can get paid a lot of money to go down to the border for like three months. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you're like an air marshal, that sometimes you'll get offered like, oh, if you go down to the border and work down there for three months, six months or whatever, you get paid like a giant bonus. I wonder what they're doing when they're down there now, just watching. Catch and release. Honestly, that is what they're, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And there was and on similar news. It's not really worth a, a hitting the button again, but the, the Senate passed the you. So the Senate was not able to pass the proposed Ukraine dash Israel dash border bill that would everybody everybody was correctly angry about because it would have allowed was a, I think it was 1.8 million people to come in legally illegally like right now e- even though it's happening it going by the law like Joe Biden's not supposed to be doing that essentially that bill would have allowed him to uh, you know a, a quota of at least 1.8 million they didn't pass that so just passed a 95 billion dollar Ukraine and Israel spending package the senate passed it uh, the house pr- it's probably not going to ma- pass the, make it through the house but you know like there's nothing they love more than shoveling our money into other countries um check this out Migrants in Mexico had, this is uh, CBS News, uh, February 12th. Migrants in Mexico have made more than 64 million requests to enter the U.S. Using a, using a smartphone app that the Biden administration has tried to establish as the main gateway to the American asylum system yeah. at the southern border. Yeah, I mean, that, that 
the that's, that's, that's half of the entire population of Mexico, I believe. That's a lot of tacos. Yeah. The smartphone app thing. Will, Will, Stan, Will Stansel is going to be eating tacos uh, 12 nights a week. <laughs> it's amazing when you think about it, they have like an app where you can record, you, you go on your cell phone and you just request, hey, I would like to come and live in the United States. Sure. Yeah. This is, um, and uh, that I, I, the story I got to it at uh, had some stuff about that, but basically this is something that was rolled out by the Biden administration to encourage. Uh, this is the CBS news story. I'm, uh, that, I, that word encourage comes from Camilo Montoyo Galvez. The Biden administration has sought to use the CBP-1 system to encourage migrants to, uh, to refrain from crossing the border illegally in between ports of entry. Unlike those who enter the country unlawfully, migrants who not secure a CBP-1 appointment can apply for a work permit uh, after being released from U.S. custody and do not have to satisfy the stricter asylum conditions of a Biden administration regulation. Um, That rule presumes migrants are ineligible for asylum if they enter the U.S. unlawfully after failing to seek refuge in a third country, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't know. I just feel very confused as a, as an American citizen. Uh, it, if there are huge limits to this asylum program, it, it sure doesn't feel like it. I, if, if, if this is a very, if this is a restricted program, if this is something that's going to 50,000, a hundred thousand people, um, wow. I mean, you could, uh, you could certainly do a lot to fend off Donald Trump if you, uh, made that clear to people, but, uh, it doesn't feel like very much is clear North of the border, whereas South of the border, it feels like there's lots and lots of information out about exactly how, uh, the yeah. rules are. Well, I mean, a huge wave of people came in as soon as Biden entered office. Like they, they, like they're not, they're not stupid. They know what's up. Okay, so this app has gotten uh, half a million migrants. Uh, Ian. Uh, okay, that, that's that's quite a bit more than I than I had imagined. <laughs> Must be a very convenient app. I mean, what can you say that won't get you in trouble? It's just this is an old strategy. You know, every empire eventually does this. You you eventually bring in people that to. I guess dilute the pool so that because like this thing about the, the problem with the empire is that in the later stages of the empire it always selects for like the worst most venal kind of human garbage to as leadership positions. It's just it's just how it, by nature like almost every empire becomes more Byzantine and bureaucratic than it was originally, and so you just the the worm tongue are. Uh, archetype is what you're going to get out of people and they have no problem absolutely destroying the the empire if it keeps them in power for 15 minutes longer because like that's all they care about like you people a lot of people who we might not have agreed with in the past politically they did still care about like the composition and the health of their their nation because it was a place they lived in they cared about if you know their families were there, their ancestors were there. These people don't. They don't care at all. It's like as soon as the lights are out and I'm gone, I don't care what happens. Like you flip the switch. Yeah. This whole app thing reminds me of a story ongoing in Canada right now. Maybe maybe the Biden administration borrowed it from Trudeau. But during you know Wuhan plague times, 
in order to get into Canada, they wanted you to have this thing called arrive can and then load in your, you know, your Fauci juice information into the app. And then they could like track you if you had to quarantine. And there was just, there was just all this stuff and it did nothing. All it did was frustrate people. And now there's accounting coming out that shows like, $60 million got flushed down the toilet for this ineffective app program to people connected to Trudeau, of course, right? So it's like all cronyism and contractors doing nothing. So, um, yeah, you can blame Canada for that one, perhaps. People in the audience, uh, is there anywhere in the United States? uh, uh, This is just something I'm sort of picking up on social media and stuff. Like a, a lot of the libs are putting masks back on their photos and stuff. Are are people doing shutdowns again? Um, what's going on with that? Is it, is it just I don't know? Is this like a, a an Indian summer of of feelings? Like they're just sort of reminiscing about the masking, or uh, is there any shutdowns going on? I don't know. Has, has you guys heard anything about that? I had nothing I'd heard about. No, I haven't seen that anything like that. All right, uh, let's go. Chicago mayor touts program where black owned businesses were given $17 million to feed illegal aliens. Uh, white owned businesses did not qualify for the program. It, re- uh, it really, uh, quoting the mayor here, it really captures what I call the soul of Chicago. It's who we are. <laughs> uh, anybody that has like a political history of Chicago, but no, uh, he's, he's not wrong there. <laughs> how, how many millions of dollars? 17. I don't know. I mean, I guess the people who live in Chicago probably, I mean, ostensibly support that at, at the moment anyway. It's not going to change until, until, you know, those people are angry. Well, I mean, uh, I would say, first off, they don't matter as much. I mean, when you have like a, uh, a certain percentage of people that ride or die for you, uh, you know, you get these big primaries and stuff. If you have like all of one kind of vote or whatever, uh, and I, I, I assume at least in Chicago, the urban black vote would probably be the most. And uh, now that, that math is going to get, is not going to work out in California, uh, anymore. But anyways, uh, just, uh, it's kind of a perfect little program. You serve, you collect money from taxpayers you give it to, um, you, Let's see to your to your friends' businesses to then distribute to illegals. It's just got like uh, I don't know. You got game respect game. You know what I'm saying? That's uh, that's really going above and beyond. Uh, that that guy will win re-election. He will. He, he, he will. Not every not every mayor's out there um uh ser- serving up the pork like that. Well, even when they get. I mean, even when they get mad about it and they uh, recall or impeach someone, they just replace them with someone who's exactly like them or sometimes even worse. Like, what was it? Was it Chicago? that They replaced the. That's this guy. Yeah. 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 So, okay. This is literally the same guy. Yeah. So what are they going to do? They're going to recall him and then, I don't know, replace him with the guy who's who's like a a, a card carrying Marxist or whatever. What what are they going to do? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, because remember, this is the guy, Lori Light, this guy, w- Lori Lightfoot made this guy look like, cons- sorry, this guy made Lori Lightfoot look like, like conservative, right? Because, like, that was the whole thing with this guy. It's hard to make Lori Lightfoot look like anything. So that I was know, impressive. yeah, exactly. 
because that was like the whole thing in this election. Like the the I mean, they were all Democrats running, but the real left wing guy is the one that won. Uh, we don't really follow the um, the primaries. I, I don't really believe there really is a primary. I mean, it's just me. But uh, my, a couple people asked me to cover this next news, so I'm going to cover it. Let's. Uh... There's a lot of people sort of on the sidelines of this stuff that are waiting to hear something like this. And uh, okay, uh, Bloomberg reported an hour ago, uh, Jared Kushner officially rules out joining the next Trump administration. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's weird that he's ruling it out, not the other way around, but sure. That's good. I mean, and you think you said about the primary. Well, yeah, after Iowa, there's not really been a primary. It's over. Yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't know that. Like, uh, a lot of news sources are really trying to squeeze whatever they can't, like, even oh, out yeah. of, uh, yeah. They had one. They ha- I mean, they had a uh, primary in Nevada, and even though Trump wasn't on the ballot, he- <laughs> Nikki Haley lost. So, you know, and by the way, I mean, I mean, both, both parties too. Oh, uh, with the, the, the guy running against Who's Biden, running against Dean, Biden? Dean Phillips or something like, that. I don't know, somebody you never heard of and never will. I, I don't know what I, I, I mean, I, I guess the theory is that if, if something came up and Biden resigned or, or whatever, he'd be in a position to, to, to run, but that that's not how party politics works. Like, I just, I, I don't know. It, it, uh, there was like Robert F. Kennedy was the only person who could have even pulled double digit votes from Biden in the primary. And he, even he got the hint and bucked out and became an independent. So yeah, there is no primary. It's over. It's been over since Iowa. All right. Irish women's basketball team refuses to shake hands with Israeli team. Uh, or line up with them at center court for the national anthems. Um, and five of the players uh, didn't report to the game. I don't know. The re- like, uh, I, I'm following this story basically two things. So, number one, uh, this person that uh, went to Joel Austin's um, church, was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah. I, I would have covered that story, like, top of the thing, but I don't, like, I don't know we don't, we don't, we don't have video. I, I just wish I, I don't really know anything about this or maybe you guys do. But uh, one of the things that was interesting about it was that was a person that was uh, an illegal immigrant. So, you know, you're, you're illegally, they were Guatemalan living in the United States, Salvador, and, I believe so, Salvador. And they were like super passionate about the Israeli Palestine war. Now, I mean, you know, like if you're like, it, it, there's a lot of people, you know, if you're uh uh, depending on what you do, if you're retired or something, you could get passionate about trains or something like that. It is weird to be like, you know, on the run from INS or something or, or from, you know, from the, uh, the, the immigration people and stuff. And like, like, and you're willing to die for, you know, this place that's thousands of miles away and stuff that, that is bizarre. But I, I thought, well, maybe that's just a lone nut or whatever, but look at this story. These women are very young. I don't know how old they are. Um, they're, they're not, I, yeah. I and I just looked it up and they appear to actually be Irish. Like, you know how in some countries, like the national team <laughs> yeah. XYZ sport is mm-hmm. not that nationality of people. I mean, I, I just Googled it and they do appear to be actual Irish women. Right. We, we, we need Angela Nagel to weigh in on this. Where is she? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, 
Maybe she's protesting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it, you're right. So th- this isn't like, um, uh, you know, this isn't like an Antifa. This isn't like, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why it struck me is like, you clearly have a, a, uh, if you just take like a, you know, you could look at a, at a a protest for Palestine in like, you know, the middle of nowhere, Iowa, if you take all the, the school teachers and librarians and stuff. But this is uh, somewhat of a random selection of people. It's just women that are good at, at, at shooting hoops. There's a thing in Europe, though. This I think this is like a, a Euro thing, though. They 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 have. Well, I'm not I don't want to conflate these two things. Right. But like. They have a different opinion on Israel than is the norm, like in the United States. Like it's just sort of a more common everyday thing, even if you're not a left wing nut there, to hate Israel. Uh, and anti Semitism, I'm not saying the two things go together all the time, but anti Semitism is a lot more casual in Europe than it is in the United States, too. Yeah, I know in, in when Ireland and Northern Ireland, whatever the, 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 whenever they play soccer games against each other and stuff, like uh, the Northern Irish will, will, and this is, they've been doing this for decades. They will flash the Israeli flag and the, and the, in the Irish will flash the Palestine flag and like, not even just meaning about those countries or the conflict, but it just like almost also means like directly F you to the, you know what I mean? Uh, it's hard, it, it's hard to explain. But anyways, um, this is just kind of a random selection of, uh, I don't know, chicks that are good at, at, at playing hoops and they're very passionate about this. It's just something I've been wondering about because we, you know, Twitter's a very, uh, peculiar place. And I, uh, something I've just noticed since that conflict is going on is uh, most of the, the normal, m- normal kind of discussions. And like, uh, I don't even really get leftists that come in and argue with me and stuff anymore because, Everybody is uh, you got to everyone's just really passionate about the the Israel Palestine thing that kind of soaking up all the air in the room. And it's hard to tell how much are people really actually invested this the average person because, you know, you don't when you're Kmart, they don't they don't uh, bring it up. But you know what I mean? mean, Wood Pitt makes a good point here that I think probably has a lot to do with it. The IRA historically was very pro-Palestinian. And that kind of makes sense if you think about it, because it's good for the kind of vibe they were trying to get across, right. Is like this sort of solidarity with like all of the, you know, like occupied lands and stuff like that. So it kind of, I kind of get how they would sort of adopt the Palestine thing into like IRA uh, messaging. So that kind of, that makes sense to me is all I'm saying. Well, uh, yes, uh, that, that does make sense. But like, I I mean, as for the feeling passionate about the subject, you don't really have to, go too far afield look at what happened to twitter after that war started and just like still for a while it was like every day all the time people just suddenly became insanely passionate about this this uh subject in a way that's never going to make sense to me and you and if at the risk of getting in trouble like the reason for that is is because we're from, we're from places where there just aren't any jewish people around it was never a thing it wasn't just you might know like one or two people who were like uh, practicing Judaism, but it just wasn't something that people cared about. It wasn't a, a subject of conversation. Uh, whereas a lot of these people who are tastemakers and they talk about politics, and they really get passionate about subjects in general. Well, they know a lot more Jewish people, so they have strong opinions about these things. 
Well, they probably, they, I'm sure they know uh, Palestinians and Muslims more than we do. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's just part. That's just part of why this is like. I don't. I don't. I don't care about any of this at all. It, the whole thing seems incredibly stupid to me. I, if you're an American, I mean, aside from the the money that <laughs> that we're going to waste on uh, Israel, and not just Israel and Palestine, like that bill they passed, we're not just giving money to Israel. It's also giving money to Gaza. It's like you're giving money to Israel and the people that Israel are fighting. But, but yeah, that's a problem. But like, who wins this war? What happens? Why should we care? Why does any of this matter? Why? Why do these little Irish girls care? Other than they've been told this is the current thing and they have to really care deeply about it. And by the way, the Israeli team absolutely butt blasted them by like fifty points after the game was over, too. Yeah. Well, I, Yarvin, uh, sorry, real quick. Yarvin suggested that that there was a um, there's something, in, I guess, in bigger cities where there there's some kind of element of, of socializing this goes on. I know I did a post about this earlier the other day and they told me, they, someone said, yeah, if you come to New York, uh, you want to go to parties and stuff, you bring, bring, you need to bring an Israel shirt and a Palestine shirt. And you can, uh, they said, if you go to Manhattan, you want to put on your, your, your Israel shirt, you want to go to Queens, put on your Palestine shirt and you have a party. Anyways, Yarvin postulated that like a lot of it was just like partying and stuff. Like, uh, cause they have these, these big protests, you know, dancing, smoking weed and stuff. Everybody's having a good time. That also is very plausible. It makes a lot of sense. I think like in the sixties, I think a lot of protesting like was around that concept. You know what I mean? Absolutely. By the way, Danny boy here, you know, references the whole, uh, the Italian American NYPD sergeant during the, the synagogue tunnels <laughs> issue saying, you know, we don't do that here in America. My, uh, one of my relatives had the best comment on that meme where he was like, these people's everybody in this picture, their direct ancestors, 2000 years ago, were having this exact same conversation in Roman Judea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's hilarious. The centurion says you got to get all this out of here. I don't know. The one, like, is the New York City accident dying? Why is there so many media people that, like, then it's not just their state in New York City for a summer or two. Like, they've been there for years or something, and they don't pick up the, uh, yeah, uh, they, they don't it's, pick it's it dying. up. It's dying because of, uh, so the city has changed predominantly because of the explosion of the financial services industry. Honestly, that's just brought a lot of money into the city. So people that are moving there, not even just for the financial services industry, but all of the knock on effects of having that much money in one place, all the arts crap. And just the fact that it's like, you know, trendy in general, if you're a trust fund kid, that constant vacuum effect where I think I've said this on the show before, basically all the worst people in the world move there or worst people in the United States, at least <laughs> sort of like every small town, like the worst guy in that small town that everybody hated, like he ends up in New York city, right? That's just sort of how it works in the U S and Pre- the, present uh, company excluded. Uh, if you're listening to this. Oh yeah. Okay. You're still about our <laughs> listeners. Gotcha. But yeah, so uh, like you have that effect, and then at the same time, that drives up the prices, so the native people get forced out, right? I mean that that's been going on since like the '80s, really, but it, it's it's accelerated. So that combination of factors has has gotten to the point where honestly, some of the only people that still have the accent like work for like NYPD and NYFD, 
You know what I mean? And the black people. Yeah, yeah, them too, yeah. Black New Yorkers still have it strong. Yeah. And some people that should live in New York City won't. I mean, I told you the story. I've got a relative that was like, had a real opportunity. They were kind of making moves in a, in a creative field. And like, a, you know, major corporation in this creative field, you know, they got the big headquarters there in Manhattan, very common thing or whatever. Uh, you know, it'd be like if you're, you're moving up at, at Merrill Lynch or something, and it's like, oh, you're the superstar in Atlanta, Georgia. We want you to come join the uh, executive team at the he- headquarters in Manhattan or whatever. He got that. Uh, he got that call, and, but he didn't want to go live in New York City. I can't hate on him. I wouldn't either. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. I don't before know, Mary. Uh, yeah. Before we move on, this one just suggestion: if you're listening at home. Just go back to the to the uh, little debate that we had about Israel and Gaza, and just you know do what I do and relish my victory over Malcolm Shea. That's completely right about what happened. Just saying. Yeah. Saying. Um, now this this is not to do with y'all's debate, but uh, if you listen to the last, I've been I've been listening to Eric Prince's stuff lately, and uh, his last interview about the shipping situation uh, for uh, in. What do you call the damn thing? Not the Panama Canal, but the the Suez Canal. The Suez, the Su- yeah. the Suez Canal. Uh, I mean, it sounded exactly like what you know these the, these interviews we had with Malcolm like a year and a half ago, where he was like, "There's going to be some kind of crisis. I can't tell you which, and it's gonna it's gonna spike the prices of um of uh, shipping or whatever." That's happened. That, that's like it, to ship something to Europe right now. Uh, cost way more than it used to. Yeah. The, uh, the, I wonder if, in retrospect, we just we all kind of missed how precarious shipping stuff through the Red Sea was. Because, I mean, I, I know it hasn't been, you know, in, we'll say the last 50 years, but, like, historically, that's just a bad neighborhood to, to go to. Yeah, go you don't through. want to be over there. That's been a thing for a long time. Yeah, exactly. But well, the drones have, have changed the game for them because it used to be that if you wanted to do that, you'd have to shoot expensive missiles or you had to drive a, a, a boat out there and get blasted by the Navy. But, man, with these drones, on the cheap, you can scare off these ships. Like Drone technology is going is already changing warfare completely. We haven't even really grasped how how different it is. It's going to be probably maybe not the biggest as big a difference as between before the aircraft aircraft was invented, but it'll be damn close. It's going to change everything. The way people fight wars is going to be totally different going forward than than it was before. You guys mentioned the or well, accidentally the connection between the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal, right? Mm -hmm. Do you guys know how America ended up being the one that dug the the Panama Canal. Yeah, we facilitate we facilitated a rebellion in Colombia. Well, yeah, but I mean the I get well. Okay, so even before that, like the the or not before that, but like the di- you know the the process was begun by the French. Yeah, the Nicaragua Canal, right? Or well, yeah, yeah. yeah the the French because they brought them in because the Suez, uh, they had dug the Suez. So the idea was like these are canal guys, right? You know what I mean? Like those are the guys you call when you need a canal. Well, they, I wish I had like the number right now, some insane number of French people died digging this canal. 
And it, it, like something that is equivalent to like a semi-major French war, like that many yeah. people died. And it was because of malaria and the Americans figured out you just sleep with nets over your bed. <laughs> it was, I wasn't yellow fever. Also a problem. I, I once there's, yeah, I should say, I think I was all let's, you know, we could we should put it all in the category of like insect borne disease. Yeah. Yeah. I think what now it's been a long time since, since I read about this, but I think the, the, the French came in, they wanted to, I think they tried to start the canal at the the Nick the Nick what they call the Nicaragua Canal, but I could be wrong about that. And supposedly one of the things that helped us complete it was some kind of was it a vaccination for yellow fever or something, some kind of treatment that made it so that they just, you wouldn't have white people dropping dead every fifteen minutes while they tried to try to work on the canal. It's a fact that I would suggest if you ever haven't ever read about the like the the early history of the canal. It's really interesting because we entered in negotiations with the Colombians to dig the canal. Eventually they, their terms annoyed the U uh, S government enough that we basically just sent in the fleet allowed, allowed the Panamanians to start rebellion and then protected them and said, okay, well now we're going to deal with these guys. So we just kind of created, we create, we created a country out of whole cloth. To give a, uh, a a quick cap of what uh, Mr. Prince said about the situation, he uh, he said um, a couple things. Uh, so for, uh, first off, this has put Egypt in very dire financial straits. Apparently, like half of the money in Egypt comes from uh, the fees they charge people for using the Suez, and no one's using it anymore. And so. Uh, Egypt apparently imports food and stuff. Uh, there, anyways, they're, they're in like uh, really bad. Like uh, uh, it could cause um, uh, instability or whatever. Uh, civil instability there. They're in they're in really bad straits. I know. I, I saw like Blinken or something is meeting with the Egyptians this week or whatever. I'm sure that's what it's about. They're they're uh, freaking out. Uh, second off, um, the uh, any. It, it, you can through an agreement with Iran, they won't mess. They they won't mess. So they don't mess with Chinese or Russian ships um, because of uh, an agreement with Iran. And uh, also, he said that uh, so uh, the United States was offering to do uh, convoys. We were doing convoys, but uh, some ships still got still got hit. So uh, these shipping companies told America, they said, "Yeah, just forget it. We'll just go around. It's not. We don't." Um, Thanks. Or no I thanks. guess you or you want a convoy right from from Russia or China. I guess yeah. right. You want the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, yeah. That's who they really need a convoy with. Yeah. It, uh, there's um, there's that. And then so he said, well, what could they do to stop it? And, and uh, Prince said, uh, this couldn't be stopped from from the water. He said, uh, basically, there. I mean, uh, you know, of course, being our prince, uh, you know, he said you would need to pay mercenaries to go in uh, to the areas, and uh, yeah, that is what he said. Makes uh, sense. So, uh, F- so, FYI, if you're sending a ship from Europe to Asia and you can't go through the Suez Canal and you're detouring all the way around Africa, that just added two extra weeks to the trip. So uh, people in logistics will know what kind of chaos that causes. 
Speaking of logistics, uh, shout out to Super Trucker. I think he's out in the uh, chat there somewhere. But um, yeah, no, all of this stuff about like supply chains and boats and everything during COVID. And now we have a major international shipping channel basically getting terrorized by gangsters financed by Iran. It's just the whole thing's just hilarious. Yeah, it's uh I mean I guess and I guess this is what Malcolm was saying is that like uh he didn't really know what what the impetus is, but it's just we're all when, I mean it's obvious you do the math. When you're on just in time um a business concept, well it does it doesn't matter what it is. You're just one step away from uh from ruining just in time shipping. Oh yeah, totally. And like, you know, the whole delicate dance of international shipping and moving containers and, you know, the whole thing's pretty finely tuned as we saw during COVID. And now you have a number of shipping lines, you know, basically saying, well, I guess we're just going to have to add two weeks to our sailings. You know, there's some significant cost uh, embodied there. Absolutely. I've, I've, I was looking at trucking news or whatever, and I noticed there is a, a fair amount of these websites that have these news. It's hard to tell how much of this uh, is there. Do you, who do you turn to for, for trucking news? Um, well, there's a few places. Uh, I, I mentioned our friend, super trucker, former employee over at freight waves. Uh, those guys are pretty well on top of things and they usually get it right. Most of the time Freightwaves.com. Absolutely. But hey, uh, before we move on, you earlier you were talking about drop shipping. Uh, I I gotta I gotta admit I don't even really know what that means. What does that mean? Drop shipping just means that you run a business like a retail sales business, but you actually don't hold any inventory. <laughs> so you accept an order from your customer, and then you just literally pass along that order to the wholesaler and yeah. the wholesaler that warehouses it ships directly to the customer. Yeah. Like flowers, uh, 1-800 flowers or whatever. Yeah. You, you, you're just paying. Well, money. no, 1-800 flowers. Typically what happens is the order it, that's almost backwards. So the order is forwarded from like 1-800 flowers to a more local, uh, yeah. like flower shop. This would be, this would be like, mega corporation usually or the manufacturer directly or giant wholesaler typically you're drop through you're drop shipping through a customer a company much bigger than you not smaller than you gotcha. does that make sense yeah. yeah have you been have you been to uh to europe gordon uh yes sir a couple of times uh just sort of like tour around and have fun uh, many years ago uh, you know we've got uh I know we've got Black Pilled Cat, one of our one of our listeners. I don't know if he's in here right now, but he's a uh, he's a trucker in Sweden. Um, I was I've been reading about you know trucking in in Europe, whatever. And, you know, there's a couple of things that's interesting. Uh, first off, of course, they still use cab overs, which is kind of cool. But second off, I was reading uh, uh, Black Pilled Cat. He's in Iceland. Iceland. Oh wow, uh, Black Pilled Cat. Tell me if a company over there called. Um... Oh, geez, they're in Reykjavik, uh, VFS. I can't remember the hell the name of their company. is like six trucks. I, I went to Iceland in 2008, and I hitchhiked around the country. And, and this guy named Adi, who owned these this, this small company, he gave one of his drivers, this other dude named Siggy, gave me a ride to a town called Akureyri, which is like the second biggest town in Iceland. And, yeah, in Escania. And he even let me drive it. Um, 
you know, cab over supremacy over there in Europe. I prefer the American ones, Kenworths. But uh, yeah, no, it's a whole different kettle of fish over that way. That's that's literally what I was going. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. That's literally what I was going to ask you. Is I was like, there's no way he's gotten to drive a truck over there, has he? But yeah, awesome. You have. If I understand, the trucks over there have a lot more horsepower for variety of reasons did you did you notice that well the manufacturers operate differently right because you know how here in the u.s we've got like protectionism and the epa and sort of the sclerotic nature of regulations and you know market offerings and whatnot um also the europeans have like much shorter length laws so you know and lots of older communities and they have to navigate things a bit different. So they're, they're real big on the cab overs. What, what the Europeans do is they're allowed a bit more weight. So like American trucks, coast to coast, 80 grand standard, 80,000 pounds. Whereas in Europe, it's much closer to a hundred uh, triaxle trailers. Uh, their sort of hours of service rules are different. They've had a version of ELDs much longer than us. They also have had speed limiters. It's, it's sort of a different kettle of fish over there. Not, you know, I, I, I considered going to Europe to drive truck once, but uh, yeah, the, the way the rules are set up, maybe not as good as here in the U.S., but I, I, I don't want to like America mog on the Euro pours. You know what I'm saying? Oh uh, no, it, it does. It definitely does sound interesting. Yeah, Black Belt Cat brings up. I know the Vol- big Volvos and the Scania's over there can uh, they'll almost 800 horsepower a lot of that is a, a, a emission stuff but um of course you know they have the it's a uh now this is may not be true for canada of course but you know compared to the united states um the united states is a lot flatter than uh than a lot of uh europe and they got these old roads and of course you got them tight turns in the old towns and stuff i don't know it'd be um i don't i, I don't know if uh it'd be interesting uh, here you uh, you talked about Bill Cat or whatever, uh, but yeah, it's it it is it's 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 cool. It, it, it's cool. I mean, especially you just you gotta if you're if you're American, you know, of course the the golden age of trucking, the guys who made it so cool uh, was during the um, you know when when cab overs were big over here, and of course you just love to see those cab overs. Yeah, shout out to Big Seb uh, online there, uh, the Big Dog Seb. Posts lots of Uncle Kevin uh, photos and memes and whatnot. He's a cab over respecter. My first uh, long distance OTR truck was a Kenworth cab over. Uh, I'm a cab over respecter. Nothing wrong with that, just as long as it's a Kenworth. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, let's see. All right. Merrick, you got anything? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I got, I got a funny one, I think. We make it look easy. Maybe Fredo can help with this because... Finance isn't my thing. Lyft, which is like Uber, one of those ride-sharing companies, added $3 billion as market cap, then crashes because of a typo in the earnings release. They put out an earnings release that said that their uh, blah, 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 margin expansion was going to be 500 basis points, which that would be that would be 5%, right? Yeah. It would mean it meant 50, which means half a percent. And uh, I guess there are trading algorithms that jumped on this and caused the the, uh, the stocks to shoot up briefly until they put out a press release saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we, we've got to put a, a, a period in there. Our bad. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that that happened. Uh, yeah, three. Let's see, three billion dollars. That's that. That's just hilarious. That much money changing hands over a typo. Yeah, I mean, when we were kids, right? Uh, this kind of thing didn't happen because they didn't have. First of all, you couldn't even trade in pennies, right? Which limited your ability to do this sort of <laughs> algorithmic stuff. You tr- you traded in. Uh, you were well. I mean, you were kids. You probably weren't paying attention. But you remember when the newspaper would quote stock prices in eighths of a dollar? No, no, I didn't check out the stock page when I was like seven years old. Well, no, you were older. You would have. It would have been like uh, up until like uh, you're oh. a little younger than me. But like you graduated high school. Uh, okay. Like, no, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so uh, it like you wouldn't ha- like you know the stock price would not be like twenty five dollars and thirty two cents. It would be like twenty five and you know an eighth. That's how like it was done back then because there were there were human beings trading. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't just all this computerized stuff. So I, I guess that was less efficient, like everything else in the modern world. But it also prevented like certain sorts of bizarre. Uh, Occurrences like this, yeah. Oh, Gord, Gord has a has one for us to cover. Finally, some good news out of San Francisco: a crowd destroyed a driverless Waymo car in San Francisco. No one was in the driverless taxis; was surrounded and set on fire in San Francisco Chinatown. Uh, I, I don't think there was any reason for this. It was not like a political statement or anything. It was just it was funny. Uh, unknown, but you know, I occasionally comment on autonomous truck technology. You know, that's sort of where I got the name for my Substack: autonomous truckers rather than autonomous trucks. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, something I don't think the pimps of this technology have taken into consideration. Although they sort of make you know, they make allusions to worker displacement, and they say dumb fake things about you know putting drivers in different jobs and it's all mostly a lie and chicanery, but you know, once uh, two or 3 million chuds are unemployed and they know that that autonomous truck going down the road's got no driver in it. Yeah. Use it for target practice. You throw out a nailer strip in front, do some cartel, pull stuff out of the trailer action. I'm just saying they haven't thought it through. And this, you know, attack on this Waymo taxi is kind of an example of what we're seeing. Woodpits uh, says that it was apparently stalled and blocking the road and people just went absolutely ape ass on it and destroyed it. If that's the case, then based. I, I support that. There's there's so much that they um that they they don't know about this kind of stuff. I know that uh, I was watching an interview they're talking about um there's been a couple there's been a couple of uh, incidents that, that drove these uh, these autonomous vehicles insane. So one of them was um, so these you know these they they run off of cameras, right? So it's just it's a camera, and so it knows what roads look like, it knows what stoplights and stop signs and all these kinds of things look like. So there's been uh, sort of two famous examples. So one of them, uh, some kids put some glue on the bottom of a of a traffic cone and glued the traffic cone to the the hood of a autonomous car. And he just start freaking out. I just went totally went insane. Uh, you could you could paint like a tunnel on the wall, like while it's yes. smashing to it. Yes, it has no idea the difference. The other one was um, a normal a a trucker uh, put a uh, 
he went on his, on a home printer, and even in, he printed a picture of a stops of a uh, a stoplight, and he put it on the back of his <laughs> the back of his semi truck <laughs> <laughs> with a with stop on it, and so uh, uh, yeah, and so he just stayed stop while it was behind this thing until the 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 semi truck got far enough away, and it was like oh, okay, the stop sign's gone. <laughs> so these autonomous vehicles, especially the trucks, are depending on uh, something called LIDAR. I'm not 100% up and up on this technology or how it works. I'm not a tech bro guy. I only know a little bit about it. But apparently they can be spooked by, like, those sort of little laser pointers you can buy. And people used to get in trouble for, like, pointing them at airplanes and stuff at airports coming in. Uh, I, I guess they really interrupt the LIDAR systems and the sort of default mode for all of these autonomous vehicles, if there's a problem, is to just stop. They don't, like, assess. They don't. It's just like, oh, okay, we have an issue here, and they just stop the truck. So, I mean, you know, go get yourself some laser pointers, boys. The the possibilities are so endless. So, first off, I don't people know, but uh, – uh, there's a lot of money on semi trucks. Like you have periods of organized crime in America where, like, the vast majority of the mafia's money is coming from knocking over <clears throat> semi trucks. So, like, I saw a documentary about this, by the way. Organized crime knocking over semi trucks. It was called The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> it, it, but you know, in other words, like, um, for like. People that um, uh, for bad people think about all the time, how could I get at that stuff that's in that truck? They, they really do. They think about this all the time. And so uh, and now you can go, go look at like, uh, so the United States, you know, like you think about how we, I don't know if we put more, more money and technology into something like drones and stuff. Uh, Iran took over one of our drones, spoofed it with, you know, who knows, lasers, who knows, whatever the hell it was, and landed it on their property and stole it. Uh, if you think about, like, uh, there's not going to be that many millions going into these trucks compared to a, a top-secret weapon like a, a Predator drone. And uh, and by the way, these, these organized crime syndicates will have access to they have access to hackers and, and people that, that, that they could get the plans. Who knows? Uh, they will want to get the stuff that's on these trucks. And so I'm sure we're going to see um, uh, some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't even need hackers. You can just do this like, you know, do Roman times. Just make yourself some Caltrops. You know, even even uh, Antifa for a little while were advertising plans and directions on how to make caltrops, and you just get some rebar and a you know a, a disc cutter and a little welding machine, and away you go. And they just pop everyone's tires, and there's your truck, and you can take whatever you want out of the trailer. Cabinet converter. Imagine just a truck going from Philip Morris to Los Angeles, you know, crossing the desert there in Nevada or whatever. How many millions is on that truck of cigarettes? Uh, I mean, boom. You know, the, the funny thing about this is like all this was true also when, you know, human beings drove trucks and drove taxis. But I mean, not only legally, but morally, it's a different thing to steal from a person or to, you know, hijack a person. This is kind of like the problem that, you know, the, the uh, self checkout at supermarkets and play in, in uh, places like uh, Walmart, they're having a lot of problems because people are just more willing to steal 
from cool. the from the you know the, the self checkout machine. Rightfully so. I mean, it's theft, not robbery. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying I I know that, but like not like the, the legal considerations because like in places like San Francisco, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're just it, 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 they're not going to charge you anyway. But a person taking something from the self checkout feels a different way about it than they do if they were you know sticking something under their shirt and walking away. You know what I mean? It's a sure. different thing, and it's definitely a different thing to you know hi- hijack a truck or you know just put an orange traffic cone down and then take all the stuff out of a robot truck. It's just a different thing. And this is going to be one of these, one of those problems that I don't think they foresaw with this technology. Like, yeah, I mean, well, actually with in the case of autonomous trucks and, and vehicles, you probably can't even do it. It probably really won't even actually work anytime in the near future. But if you could, it would open up all these, these, a moral quandary they did not expect to happen because they just all of the assumptions like the 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 nerds who invented this stuff the the assumption is like that all the baseline morality will stick around after they change everything like this is just how like at the risk of being too political about how progressives think like you can just change everything but the baseline remains the same but that's not how that that's not how life works at all yeah. Well, th- those guys are compliance junkies, and they've made the mistake of assuming everybody else is too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that that that's a good point. I mean, you know, if I'm in the mob, I'll tell you right now, if I'm in the mob and I know autonomous trucks are coming to my neighborhood, uh, my little cousin is going to school for uh, dispatching. He's going to get a job dispatching for the autonomous truck company. And he's gonna he's gonna know when that when that truck's coming, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, full of booze, cigarettes, uh, any, anything like that. You know what I'm saying? Which, by the way, they, this is this is literally what they do uh, at the bank. Now, I don't know, if you know, like uh, it's uh, if you if you're trying to make a large transaction of cash, like literally, organized crime has their girlfriends working the the register at the the bank, and they just you know they call Big Tony and said, yeah, somebody just came here, and picked up ten grand, and driving a gray gray uh, Corolla that's on them. You know what I'm saying? Cornish Jack said the insurance adjusters will expect it. You know that threat. Uh, Bog Beef asked. Was it this morning? Uh, like, how would you charge your Tesla if you lived in an apartment complex? And there were a bunch of replies that, you know, that they're adding this infrastructure to apartments, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't really interesting. What was interesting is I saw somebody comment that you, he said, and I don't know if this is true, it's just what some guy on the internet said that you can't, that they, right now a lot of insurers will not insure a, an electric, uh, an EV that's kept inside an enclosed garage. I don't know if that's true. The thing that, that, that was weird about that, because a lot of people, they were like, they said, well, well, my apartment complex, we've got, you know, they installed three of these, uh, these car chargers. It's like, okay. But like, you realize like, if your car is not charged, you're not going to work. So that like, I know like, oh, it's Friday. I got home early. Um, the parking slot is open to charging my car. Fantastic. You're, you're great. But like, um, if that slot's not yours, you live in an apartment you don't own that slot. And so, um, if the slot's taken, you just, you're not going to work tomorrow. Well, and this is the uh, place, you know, pl- like places that you go, will have them to like, you know, the Walmart park lot will have charging things, which is, I mean, maybe, but the funny thing is again, think about, think about if you were in, let's say we'll just, we'll pick on San Francisco again, you're going to have these 
really expensive things just sitting out in the open 24 7 full of copper by the way (laughs) i was gonna say yeah exactly think about how much copper you get out of an ev charge ev charging thing i mean someone just stole a a statue of uh jackie robinson and tried to (laughs) sell it for scrap there's they're doing the the blinking eye at the Tesla charging thing that's got uh, five hundred dollars worth of copper in it. Hell no! How how are you gonna how are you gonna do this? Like I I don't know. I I, I wonder about the EV stuff if they even really believe the the stuff they say about like oh we're gonna transition everybody to EVs within fifteen years. Like I don't know that they, even they really believe that. That's just a, a level of insane that it, it's hard to imagine. Hey boys, I got I got to check out. Life's getting on me here, so um, <laughs> that's m- married life for you. Uh, thanks for having me. Have a good night, everyone, and y'all take care. Hey, eh? happy trails. Thanks for joining us, Gord. Yeah, no hey, sweat. Thank you. That was Gord McGill, voice of Gord Podcast, autonomoustruckers.substack.com. I've got uh, I got one more story here. All right, this is a fun one. This comes from svt.se. This is a uh, local local Swedish news. Um, I caught this from a gentleman who was posting about this. Uh, I, I first saw this story from uh, the, one of the first people that reported this in. Uh, this guy on Twitter, um, he says, uh, and th- these are all people speaking Swedish, but uh, so I'm on the translate, so if it sounds weird, but yeah, it's all on translate. It has been raining poop in Vasatsistan. An explosion in the subway construction <laughs> caused a rusty pipe filled with poop to fire a salute. Uh, so that was the first report. Okay, so now I go to the, the story. Dog poo raining over uh, Stockholm after tunnel blasting. Earlier this week, a metal pipe in Berkistan in Stockholm became a poop cannon in connection with a tunnel explosion. <laughs> Bags of dog poo rained down on the street, houses, and cars. Oh, we can't. It's not, do- it's not actually dog poop, right? Well, you, you got it. Uh, bags of dog poo. Uh, yeah, bags of dog poo. Someone has used a buried pipe as a wastebasket for dog poo bags, uh, says Emma Salman. The <laughs> what? Subway construction under Berkistan Viking Gatan. Sweden is hilarious. It's <laughs> uh, in full swing. When workers blast into the mountains to get there, the shockwaves have created the least unexpected consequences. The purpose of the metal pipe, which sticks up a bit above the ground in Vasastistan, is still unclear. According to Emma Salman, there should not be any maps of cables or other things on ground. Okay, so what's what happened here is that, uh, <laughs> like, there there was a stray pipe that was just like poking up under. On uh, on the the ground next to this dog park, right? And so people they all just thought this was a, a wastebasket for dog poop, like you know you go the dog uh, uh, the dog, <laughs> yeah, right. But it wasn't. It's, it, it was it was just a stray. It was a stray metal pipe, uh, and so that stray metal pipe has been there, and people have been dumping bog, dog poop in there for years. <laughs> And and so you know they asked the city about the city said we there there's no we we've got the plans right here we've got the the you know the uh, uh what do you, what do you, what is the 
blueprints. Yeah, yeah, we got the blueprints of this of this of this recreational park. There's no waste basket over there. It was just a straight pipe that's sticking up here. <laughs> and so for uh, you know, for years people have been just throwing dog bags and bags and bags of dog poop. So uh they're building an underground tunnel here for something or whatever, and then boom, it says, but during Wednesday evening it became clear that the tube uh did and so uh yeah, they they referenced the person from the city. They said there's there's no there's no pipes there. It, it, that's not used for anything uh for that. And it says but during Wednesday evening, it became clear that the tube did have a purpose for dog owners. <laughs> I wonder how much poop, how much dog poop you could fit in a pipe like that. Catapult effect for 50 filled bags. According to Emma Solomon, uh, at least 50 uh, filled dog poo bags. These bags have been hurled like a catapult towards houses, cars, <laughs> and, and, and all over the courtyard of nearby apartments. Okay, so it didn't. the 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 problem was like that it went, it blew up and went in the tunnel. It blew up and got shot out and like yeah. ballistic. <laughs> okay, now now I'm on board with this story. Yes, like they created a dog shit mortar. <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I I think I skipped that. But yeah, it says literally earlier this week a metal pipe uh, became a poop cannon in connection with a tunnel explosion. So yes. <laughs> You gotta, you just gotta love life. It's just like one or two little. Um, You're one bad day away from your house, just getting hit by a trebuchet of dog, dude. Yeah. Five years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! And, you know they're they're blowing a hole in the side of a mountain there, or whatever. They're just a random thing. Is that is this where I'm supposed to put the dog uh, doggy bag? Okay, I'll just chunk this through here. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's a wonderful story. And there's, there's, uh, pictures, but we're not going to show them. Uh, (laughs) see the pictures from the poo cannons devastation. So if you want to see the pictures from the poo cannons devastation in Stockholm, uh, you can search that. Uh, by the way, yeah, Joshua Ham says he's headed out. Uh, I know he, I I didn't, I didn't realize that Josh Ham said he did international trucking between Texas and Canada. That was a pain in the ass. Imagine it'd be even worse in Europe. The museum, West is way more administrative and retarded. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, when people do nursing, they think about you know helping people, whatever, and you do. But as soon as your shift ends, you spend three hours uh, doing paperwork, and I can imagine all the damn paperwork you had to do at the border. Let's do one more quick story uh, since since we got Fredo here. This is Cornish Cornish Jack. Do you live in? Do you live near the Pooh Cannon? I I, I I don't think that's what he means, buddy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I thought we had thought we had somebody live on the ground there. I think he's offering you something else. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii court declared that Aloha spirit <laughs> makes it above the United States Supreme Court. This is a it was making this story made its rounds on social media. There was a gun case in Hawaii uh, about whether or not but the long story short the Hawaii the Hawaii state supreme court ruled that you don't actually have second amendment rights that they in the, in the in the ruling they said yeah we know this united states supreme court said that you do but we say this is not a collective right and to prove that we have the power to do this we are going to cite uh david simons the wire and a bunch of old like kingdom of hawaii customs going back like the 1600s and they said that the spirit of aloha uh 
overrules the United States Supreme Court. And they said that oh, Heller was wrong. Or the D.C. versus Heller was decided incorrectly. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot going on there. So, yeah, I actually read this opinion when it came out. It was interesting. Um, the, I mean, the quote of The Wire was – that was a little bit overblown. They just, it was, it was quoted not for value, but for rhetorical effect. And that is a, that is a practice that has gone on in judicial opinions for hundreds of years. Of course, obviously you can sort of, I guess, make a distinction between quoting a great work of literature for rhetorical effect versus the wire. Right. But in the, in the, the worst part was the quote was like the thing about the old days is they, the old days. It was like yes, this exactly. most retarded abonics crap you've ever heard in your life. Well, and it was forced, right? It wasn't necessary to make the point. It didn't add anything rhetorically. It was someone just wanted to let you know they were like the wire. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's all that was going on there. Um, the opinion itself is interesting. So I don't know a ton about Hawaiian law, but I do know that the spirit of aloha is a part of Hawaiian common law, right? Like at the mm-hmm. state level. And for like listeners who aren't familiar if you're in the United States or if you're in any common law jurisdiction. So that would mean one, uh, one of 49 United States, meaning if you live in Louisiana, sorry, this doesn't apply to you. Uh, or if you live in Canada, Australia, you know, uh, Britain, common, those are all, you know, common law jurisdictions. There's sort of this tradition that of common law versus this idea of, you know, non-statutory law, law that is developed through the courts, through traditions over many generations, right? Under Hawaiian state law, the spirit of aloha is a part of their common law. And I do, I understand that's actually, I don't actually think on its face, the way it was applied to this case is, is incorrect on its face. That's not patently ridiculous. I mean, that's just a recognition of Hawaii's unique history and culture, uh, you know, to be honest, which is to be, uh, the concept of having a common law in your jurisdiction is all about. I mean, it, that's that's the the core of it. So, on that level, that makes sense. Where this case went awry is it it decided to it, the the court decided to issue its opinion based entirely on Hawaiian state law, um, and that's weird because. Second Amendment is part of the federal constitution, right? It's weird that I'm the one making this argument. Usually on the show, we're going the other way around, but that supersedes your state law. So I have no doubt that under the Hawaiian constitution uh, and relevant Hawaiian state law, this ruling is probably correct. The problem is that Hawaii is still part of the United States, so it doesn't matter. And that's sort of what was in- ignored by the Hawaiian court here. Does, does my explanation make sense to you, fellas? Absolutely. It's 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 funny because like this is this is if Hawaii actually went through with this and said we're not going to comply with the Supreme Court, which is what their 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 Supreme Court is basically saying we're not going to comply with this federal law. We don't we don't agree with the Supreme Court's interpretation of the Constitution, so we're not going to go along with it. That would be a nullification. And it would be like federalism, not working as intended, but like a robust federalism, like maybe the one thing that could actually save the country. Of course, uh, they would only do this for like, you know, a bad reason being. Yeah, that's actually what's very unique and interesting about this case. And well, first, I just want to mention repost Twitter. No, excuse me. Gringo Texan 
uh, asked me a question about Quebec. Uh, I'm not a Canadian legal expert, but I my recollection is that Quebec is like Louisiana, where it is a civil law jurisdiction rather than a common law jurisdiction. Uh, basically, all non-British jurisdictions, uh, in, at least that are descended from Europe, are civil law because that's Roman law. So regardless of whether you come from France, Spain, whatever, the other major tradition is common law. To get to your point, though, yeah, that's what's interesting about this case. Like if this could be extended into other areas, right? Like if states actually started doing this regarding, you know, areas of law other than the Second Amendment, this would actually be pretty interesting and potentially a positive. I'm just, you know, like you, I think I'm kind of doubtful that we can get there, but maybe we'll see, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's actually going to happen, but I, I, we had, <clears throat> we had this conversation once a long time ago and I said that, you know, if there was, if we had, if we returned to federalism and like in a way that would have been recognized by people, you know, when the country was founded, like we would, uh, gun rights would get, would be contingent on whatever state you were in. Like, let's just say, honestly, that's what, what's what would happen. I don't know. It wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be a bad trade-off if you had genuine federalism. Like if the states really did, were able to govern themselves, that would probably be a good trade-off because like at this point, it's obvious like the, the, the federal government is a terrible influence on, on your life, no matter where you live, but it's no matter where you live, they're constantly trying to figure out ways to, screw you over and mess with your children and you know the myriad of stuff you, you've been paying attention in 2024 you know what i'm talking about like trading the gun rights of people in connecticut or, or california for that probably wouldn't be a bad wouldn't be a bad trade-off unfortunately that's not what's going to happen they're just going to what they're what they're going to try their best to do is say we're going to selectively not enforce things that you care about and we're going to see if we can get away with it. now. Hey, in, in the case of Texas, we just saw that recently. It's not always a bad thing, but it's probably generally going to be a bad thing just because they're in charge and they have more power than we do. Well, yeah. Uh, if we could trade, you know, and although uh, we can't, I mean, cause you look at what we're trading, we're trading um, your uh, second amendment rights for, uh, like the most basic function of a government's law. You know what I mean? Well, no, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is if you, if you had the States were genuinely in charge of, of the States, then like, you know, Connecticut would be Libtopia and like Alabama would, you know, <laughs> change their flag back. That's what would happen. Oh, so like, uh, you know, like a state's rights thing. Yeah, exactly. It would be, you would have legitimate federalism. Like it would be, it would be actually different if you lived in a different state. I was saying that the for us, the one thing that you can count right now on the Constitution doing for you and the federal government doing for you is your is your gun rights. The federal government at the moment is preventing your your state, from, not your state, but some people who listen to preventing your state from disarming you. Like that is legitimately the one of the few things you can say it actually does for us. The other is the is like the first amendment. And I guess is it is the, is the fourth amendment that covers double jeopardy. Like we were talking about with Gord and search the, and seizure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, that, that too, like legitimately these things, it does offer these things to people like us still. 
you would lose that if you lived in Connecticut, Rhode Island, California, whatever. If there was, if the states could do what they gun could. rights for sure. Some of those other things are are enshrined in their state constitution, right. As well, depends on the this particular thing. But yeah, so, your point is still valid. Yeah, West Virginia would get a lot more based, and uh, California would get a lot more lib, to to put it dumbly. And I don't know if we actually had that deal. If we could, yes or no on it. I don't know. Might be it might be a good deal, but that's not really what's on the table. So it's kind of doesn't matter regardless. Do you have an ATV, Merrick? No, I don't. I was reading the other day that West Virginia uh, has like by far the highest ATV ownership. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm in Virginia, not West Virginia. I'm yeah. On the border, but it, it, no. But a lot of people did. A lot of people do because of the you know, mountains. It's a mm. good way to get around in the mountains. You don't need a road. It's all terrain. Yeah, and um, I don't know. It's interesting. They used to make them really fast. Now it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, I never had one as a kid either because my parents loved me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, I don't know. I think that's all we got tonight. WBSApparel.com. As Whoopit said, don't forget Valentine's Day tomorrow. Be careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Have a good night, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Also, everybody, happy Ash, well, not happy, actually, a solemn Ash Wednesday for those who celebrate tomorrow. It coincides with Valentine's Day this year. Oh.